You're listening to a sermon from Low Country Community Church. We pray God uses it to help you grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like more resources or to give to our ministry, please visit our website at lowcountrycc.org. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on our weekly uploads. Well, a couple weeks ago, I got a random text from my wife, Liz. And uh, how many of you guys know that's sometimes a good thing, sometimes a scary thing. Liz texts me and she says, hey, um, I really want to take the girls to Disney before, like, while it's free for them to go. I, I learned that day that when it comes to Disney World, um, kids under three, they get in free. And when you have multiple kids, you got to take advantage of the deal, right? So as, you know, being the good husband that I am, I've been married for four years. I'm an expert at this point. I've got it all down. If you need advice, probably don't go to me. Um, there's a few things that you should not say, that you should not respond to your wife when she says, hey, I really want to go on a family trip uh, with our younger, with our toddlers to Disney World. First thing you should not say is, uh, are they really going to remember it? <laughs> Second thing, going off that note that you probably shouldn't say is, since they're not going to remember it, should we just, you know, let's invest in our marriage. Let's go to the Bahamas. Let's go take a trip like just me and you. That was number two. Number three was, uh, do you really want to take out like a second mortgage on the house for us to be able to afford it? Because like, even though there's three and we're saving there, we still have to pay for it. So those were things that um, you shouldn't say. And I'm not going to let you know if I said any of those or not. I'm just going to let you imagine that because I'm up here, I've got this thing figured out um, that I can lead a marriage seminar. So um, come to me for marriage advice. Just kidding. Um, my response was simply, when are we going? And the answer was February. So we're going to Disney. When it comes to Disney, if you've been, if you've been to Disney World before, there is one word that can really set up your time there if you allow it, and that word is waiting. If you've been to Disney World, you know this, that Disney World is really just one big TSA check-in line, but with Mickey ears and a little more entertainment. And that is the word that defined my last experience. I went there in 2017 with a group of friends. And when I think back to it, I just think back to the time of, of waiting and then waiting and a little more waiting and standing in line, waiting in the 95 degree weather. I remember the very first part of the trip was like, okay, we got to go get on this bus. We have to wait for this bus to take us to the park. Wait for the bus, get on the bus. We get over to the theme park. And then next, what do you do? You wait outside of the theme park. You're not even in it yet. You've already waited twice. Finally, you make your way through the little check-in spinny gate thingy. You get in there, and then what we did next was we went over to get these things called magic bands. I don't know if they still have them or not, but they did back in 2017. And of course, we wait in the line to get those. And what are magic bands? They're these bands that you can virtually check into certain rides, so that way you can virtually wait here and physically wait here because it's all one big time of waiting. If I, I, I kind of wish I, I could go back and kind of get a ratio of like, how much time did I spend standing in line versus actually doing what I was standing in line for? If I did, I'd probably think it was a very negative experience. It was a lot of fun. We know this watching football. Um, maybe you haven't realized this, but football games, there's four 15-minute quarters. So there's an hour um, seemingly of playing time. However, the actual amount of action in a football game is under 12 minutes. Half the time is replays, huddles, pre-snap audibles, commercials, all that stuff. Um, but anyway, back to, back to Disney. They, here's the thing that blows me away about Disney World. They know this. They know that as they bring people in, people are just going to be waiting almost the entire time. So what do they do? They build moments into the waiting. 
The ride starts well before the ride. The experience starts 30 minutes before you ever actually set foot into the thing you're waiting for. They utilize interactive screens, movie clips, sights, sounds, all to engage, prepare, and build anticipation for you prior to ever actually getting on the ride or the experience. There was a viral video going around on TikTok Reels a little while ago, and um, it was the turtle from Finding Nemo. And I guess it was like this big group. I guess this was like the staging area for the next big group to go into uh, the interactive experience. And they had this big wall, and on it was the turtle from Finding Nemo. And he is like speaking back and forth with this like five-year-old kid. The kid's like showing him his Buzz Lightyear. Somehow the turtle is like talking about his Buzz Lightyear. Like there's got to be some AI stuff involved. I don't fully understand it, but it was pretty wild. And I think Disney World is onto something that we as Christians need to take note of, and that's this. A time of waiting is not time wasted. Rather, it's part of the process. For honest, sometimes we want the final product without going through the process. We want the career, but we don't want to go through the process of earning the degree. We want that position, but we don't want to go through the process of putting, time, putting in time and gaining experience to earn that position. We want to buy the expensive things, but we don't want to go through the process of building the bank account that can afford and sustain that cost of living. We want the spouse or my single people out, but we don't want to go through the process of singleness, of going through the counseling and getting financials right, and we just want the final product. We want God to lead us, but we don't want to go through the process that he has for us, the process of slowing down, leaning into his timing, and listening for his voice. We want the final product without the process. And when we step back and we look at most things in life that we had to wait for, what we realize is that the process, it it was the process and it was the wait that made the final result so worthwhile. What adds beauty to the coming of Jesus is the awaiting on his arrival. Today we find ourselves, like I said earlier, about a week away from Christmas Day, which means we have about a week to properly celebrate this Advent season. And I say it that way for this reason. To understand the miracle that is Christmas, the miracle of Jesus' birth, the miracle of Emmanuel, which sometimes we just need to stop and think on this, that our God came to us. For us to fully understand this and soak this in and take it in, we need to first understand the weight that God's people endured. How many of you know that the promise of a coming Messiah was given all the way back in Genesis chapter 3? So what does that mean? That means that this entire Old Testament, this entire two-thirds, the first two-thirds of the Bible was a process and a time of waiting on God and waiting on his promised Messiah. People of God didn't just wait a year. They didn't just wait a decade even. They didn't just wait a century or even a millennia for their coming Messiah. They were in this space of waiting for thousands of years. And I believe this morning that we can't fully appreciate the arrival of Jesus without acknowledging the waiting for Jesus. Title for my message today, if you're taking notes, is this. We're calling it The Wait Room. The Wait Room. W-A-I-T. I know there's some improper grammar in there. We'll get to that later. But before we, we open up the word and ask God to move and to speak through it, I just want to pray one more time. So if you'll bow with me. Father, we love you so much. We ask that this morning... 
that you would move me out of the way. This would not be my words, but it would be your word. God, we pray that you would illuminate scripture, that as we read the words off of the page, that you would do something in our hearts. Do what I can't do and speak to each individual's hearts this morning as we come receptive and ready for what you have for us today. And everyone said... Amen. Well, if you guys will turn with me, I had a marker here, so I'm already there. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. And while you're turning there, um, let me give you just a little bit of context. This is, we're going to read about one of my new favorite Bible characters. As you're, um, as you're looking at this, what you're going to realize is Jesus was born like just a second ago. Like you can look a little bit further up the page and boom, we got the birth of Jesus. Jesus is a whole eight days old. His parents are taking him to the temple as ceremonial custom. And while they're there, they're going to meet a man. And this man's name is Simeon. So look with me, Luke 2, starting in verse 25. It says this, and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So we've got this guy named Simeon. And can I tell you what I love about Simeon? So we don't know much about Simeon. He's kind of an obscure character. We don't know his age. We don't know his background. We don't know where he's from. We don't know his status. We don't know his title. We don't know his job. We don't know his occupation. There are some scholars who suggest that maybe he was a priest, but uh, what they're really saying that off of is, again, limited information. They're kind of saying that based off his proximity. We find him near the temple in Jerusalem, so they're saying maybe because of that he's a priest, but how many of you know you don't need to be a priest, you don't need to be a pastor, you don't need to get paid to be hanging out around the church. Sometimes when there's just a calling of God on your life, sometimes you just want to be involved in what God's doing. So with this, maybe he's a priest, maybe he's aware of what God's doing in his life. Here's how the Bible does describe Simeon. This is what we do know about him. Just really four things. One, he's righteous. He's devout. The Holy Spirit is upon him, which let me just do a little sidebar, side note just for a second. This is a big deal for this time because remember the Holy Spirit indwells all believers at salvation starting at Pentecost, starting in Acts 2. This is before that. So when we look at the Old Testament leading up to this moment prior to Pentecost, prior to Jesus's death, really just the beginning of Jesus's life, the Holy Spirit is still selecting who he will indwell. And it's kind of just individuals at very certain and particular times. So the fact that the Holy Spirit is indwelling Simeon, it shows that this is a big deal. We need to pay attention. So that was my sidebar. That was number three, that the Holy Spirit is upon him. Number four, he is waiting on the promise of God. Let me say it one more time. He's righteous. He's devout. The Holy Spirit is upon him, and he's waiting on the promise of God. That's all we get. That's all we're given about this man, Simeon. But I think with what we're given, we get this incredible picture about who this guy is. Because how many of you guys know when you're speaking about somebody, you have a small snapshot, but maybe it's a biography. Man, you better use your words wisely. When the Bible speaks about this man, we're only given just a little bit, but we know everything that we need to know about him. I, I believe that out of these four things, again, he's devoted, he's righteous, Holy Spirit's with him, and he's waiting on the promise Man, if that's what we know about his life, this is a pretty successful life. This is a pretty outstanding life. If this is what is spoken about him, this is a life well lived. Forget money or power or what the world deems success. If at your celebration of life someday, someone gets up there and says, man, he was a man or she was a woman who was righteous, who was devout, and the evidence of the Holy Spirit was on his or her 
life. And man, they just spent their whole life eagerly awaiting the coming of, of their king. Man, that is what better life is there. I, I hope that someday somebody gets up there at my celebration of life, they crack a few jokes, and then they say things just like this this morning. Now, I'm not trying to write my own eulogy or anything. All I'm saying is, what is said about Simeon, may that be said about you and I. There is a connection point that we need to see this morning between you, me, Simeon, and the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. You can find them in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, That's for your reading later. But here's the connection. Here's what we need to see. It's that we are all in some, waiting in some areas of our lives. We're all waiting in some way, somehow, in all of our lives. We saw that Simeon was waiting, and let me show you a few others who were waiting on God. First, we have Abraham. Abraham was given a promise by God that he would be a father of many nations, that he would uh, have a multitude of children, but there was kind of a, a math problem. That he's like, God, like, how are you going to do that when I don't have any kids? God promises him that he's going to have a son of the promise. But the time between God's initial promise and the son being born is a whole 25 years. Talk about waiting. Man, Joseph. Joseph was waiting in a cave. He is waiting in slavery. He's waiting in a prison all before he is elevated to the authority that God told him as a young boy that he would eventually step into. Joshua, leader of the Israelite people after Moses died. He's in this 40-year waiting process, and his circumstance might be worse than some of the others because he's waiting in a desert. He's just wandering for 40 years waiting. And he's wandering and waiting because of the sin of the people. You could even say that maybe it wasn't even his own sin that got him there. But he's waiting 40 years before he sees the promised land. And then we've got David, shepherd boy turned king. And we know those two pieces. Sometimes we miss what happens in the middle. He is anointed by Samuel at the age of 15 to be the next king of Israel. He doesn't become appointed as king of Israel until 15 years later. And there's a lot that happens in those 15 years of his life. And I know this congregation well enough to know that there's people in this room, there's people in our church who are waiting right now. You're waiting on a miracle. You're waiting on healing. You're waiting on that diagnosis. You're waiting to know what's next. You're waiting to know about the job. You're waiting for that sign. You're waiting for a reminder, a reminder that God is good. And let me be the one to tell you this morning that he is good, that he does love you, that he does see you, that he does hear the prayers that you're making requests to for him. And he's working while you're waiting. Sometimes what God calls us to do is simply to wait, and that goes counter to everything within us, because what we want to do is is work, right? What we want to do is figure things out ourselves. What we want to do, and sometimes if we're not careful, we start wrestling God for control over the situation. When we feel like we're not doing something, we feel like nothing is happening. However, The opposite is true, and A.W. Tozer says it better than I ever could. He said this, when you feel like God is doing nothing, that's often when he is doing the most. It's a principle that I believe rings true, and it's that if we want to be great in faith, we must first learn how to wait in faith. For us to be great in faith, we've got to learn how to wait in faith. And I think our friend Simeon gives us some framework on how to do this well. It looks like this. Number one, waiting in faith looks like having an active faith. 
waiting in faith looks like an active faith. Back in the early 2000s, some of you guys in this room are going to remember this. Um, there was this commercial. I have no idea what they were promoting. I have no idea what it's for. It's just kind of stuck in my brain. I remember being like 10, 7, 7 8, 9, 10, watching Nickelodeon. There's this commercial. It would always come on. And it was like this commercial called like Verb. It would say Verb. It's what you do. And there'd be like kids running around and doing jump ropes and kind of like thumbs up at the camera. No idea what it's promoting. Maybe it was targeted towards kids like me. They're saying like, hey, get off the couch. Like, yeah, watch Nickelodeon, but then go get off the couch, go do something, some initiative to, to do that. But the whole um, campaign, again, it was, it was just simple. It was verb, it's what you do. And for us to have an active faith, we gotta have verbs in our faith. There has to be action attached to our faith. Having a faith that is active looks like this. You bring God into your Monday. You don't just leave him at the doors on Sunday. You meditate on God's word daily. You seek God in prayer. You study his word. You worship him with your life. The opposite of an active faith is a passive faith. And I would argue that a passive faith, like passive and faith, those are, they can't really go together. A passive faith is barely any faith at all. And that looks like this. You don't talk to God. You don't open his word. You don't consider his ways, his wisdom, or his precepts, or his commands. You don't honestly think twice about them between the Sunday, on this Sunday, and then the next Sunday that you decide to show up to church. Your faith should be, your faith life should be active, not passive. Your, your prayer life should be active, not passive. Your waiting should be active, not passive. And maybe for you this morning, felt like I was taking some shots there. Maybe you're kind of dealing with a little bit of passivity in your faith. And I don't do that to take shots. I do that to say, hey, let me help wake you up. Let me just encourage you that there is a God who wants to be involved in your everyday life, not just your Sunday life, but your Monday, Tuesday, every single day of your life. But here's the thing about God. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not going to force his way in. God goes where he is desired. Are you inviting God into your Monday, Tuesday, and so forth? Simeon, in his waiting, it says that he did this, that he was a righteous, that he was righteous and devout. Check this out, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. He's looking forward. His eyes are up. He's scanning the horizon. He is actively seeking and searching and looking for what he's waiting for. Simeon's faith is an active faith that has action to it. A waiting faith is an act of faith. Number two, waiting in faith looks like remaining in faith. Man, imagine if Simeon gave up. Imagine if he gets delivered this promise, this, again, man, we got millennia, we got thousands of years that the people of God have been waiting on this exact promise. And a more detailed promise is given to him that, hey, you're gonna see the Christ before you die. You're going to see the long awaited Messiah, the one that your generations, that your ancestors upon ancestors upon ancestors have been waiting for this one individual. You're going to be the one to see him. Imagine if you got bored. Imagine if after, like, I'm sure it was really cool the first day. Like, oh yeah, that's like, that's me. Then like weeks go by and then months and then years. What if after a few years, again, we don't have his age, we can speculate here, but imagine what if after a little while, he's just like, man, I guess, I guess it's not happening. And he just moves on with his life and he misses a major promise. You and I can't be guilty of this. 
There's some things that God's asked us to pray for. There's some people that God's asked us to pray for. There's some relatives that God has said, hey, I want you to pray for their salvation. There's some people that God is putting on your mind right now that God's saying, hey, lean into this person, man, disciple this person, pray for this person. And you know what? Sometimes when we put things in our timeline, we get really frustrated with God. We try to control the situation. We try to say, man, if it doesn't happen in a week, if it doesn't happen in a month, then like, God, either you don't care or you're not concerned. Worst of all, we start guessing, God, are you really there? And that can't happen. Sometimes when it comes to our faith life, waiting looks like remaining, just coming back every single day, just being consistent every single day. And what we see here when it comes to, to Simeon, uh, his remaining faith, there, there's a word that's used to describe him. Again, one of the four words. Through these four words, it says so much about him. But this one, devout. Devout is, the word means religious, and it brings a sense of commitment to it. When we hear the word religious, sometimes that gets negative context. Simeon brings, uh, he redeems the word religious. He gives it a good name. He is showing up daily. He's got his daily rhythms with God. He's got his daily habits with God. He's got his routines. He's seeking God. He's doing what God has asked him to do, and he keeps coming back to what God has promised him. A waiting faith looks like a remaining faith. Number three, last way Simeon exemplified how we are to wait in faith. Waiting in faith looks like listening for the Lord. And there's a little play on words here. I could have said listen to the Lord, but I purposely said listen for the Lord. While listening to the Lord, that is obedience. That is absolutely required. That is absolutely necessary. That is absolutely a piece of it. But listening for the Lord is not just obedience. It's actually vigilance. When we wait, our ear is turned towards heaven. That way we might know when God is saying that your awaiting is coming to an ending. If not, if we're not listening for God, we might miss what he had for us. Let me give you the rest of the passage. Again, I said there was like four verses on Simeon here. We only read two. We're going to start back in 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 27. He came by the Spirit into the temple. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, now, Lord, you are letting your bondservant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon is led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads him into the temple where his waiting is coming to an ending. He sees Jesus. He sees this long-awaited Messiah. He sees what the Holy Spirit has promised him that he would see. And Spirit is uh, Spirit. Simeon is led because Simeon is listening. I was challenged with this quote recently. It was this: If God wanted to speak to you, would you would you hear him? And I just want to pass that along to you today. If God wanted to speak to you, would the whisper of his voice be heard in your life? Or would it be drowned out by the distractions, the noise, the chaos, the entertainment, the busyness, maybe the neglect? If we want to hear God's voice, it requires that we build intentional stillness into our lives. We must both turn, we must turn our ear to God and turn down the volume of the world. Waiting in faith looks like listening for 
the Lord. All throughout scripture, we see these stories of waiting. I listed a few earlier. We see these stories of time passing. We see these stories of God taking the slow route, these stories of God building anticipation into the narrative. And I believe that he's doing so for a reason. I believe God wants us to see that the waiting room actually makes the best wait room. The waiting room makes the best wait room. It's in the waiting where strength is forged. It's in the waiting where endurance is built. It's in the waiting where skills are required. It's in the waiting where discipline is developed. And it's in the waiting where you determine if the temporary pain is worth the lasting results. Where weights produce muscles, waiting produces a different kind of strength. And let me just give you this short list of what waiting produces and then we're going to wrap up. Waiting produces faith, waiting produces trust, produces perseverance, character, grit, experience, resilience. Waiting produces dependency upon the Lord. And waiting produces an immense joy that can only exist when paired with anticipation. And that is what we celebrate this upcoming week as we make known that the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, has come. That God is with us, that all of the waiting, the centuries of waiting, all the time of waiting was absolutely worth it. We celebrate the advent of Jesus. We look forward to his second coming. And while we wait, we wait well. This morning... I don't know what it is that you're waiting on. I know some of us are just in, we're in a waiting season. Maybe we thought that 2023 was going to be the year. And you can fill in the blank with what that means. Maybe, I don't know, me and my wife in years past, maybe we, we thought that maybe this is going to be the year that we get pregnant. Maybe this is going to be the year where things change, where this next thing happens and the year starts, the year comes to an end and you find ourselves still in this waiting season. And let me just encourage you that again, God's people are a people of the wait, that the wait is not wasted that in those moments, God is building our character. He's building our dependency. He's building our faith. He's building pieces into our life that we're going to get to use later. So as we are a people of the wait, may we wait well. Let's pray. Well, Father, we uh, are grateful for this time this morning. And as much as we hate it, we're grateful for the wait. We're grateful for the times that you don't give us what we want when we want it. Because if you did that, you'd just be a genie and we'd be spoiled and we'd be entitled. Instead, God, what you've done and what you're doing is you're building our character. You're building our faith. You're building our trust in you. We've seen you do it before time and time and time again as we look throughout the scriptures, God. There's moments upon moments upon moments of waiting on you. Over half the Bible is waiting on you. And even now, we continue to be a people who are a people of the wait. While we sit in this moment in history where we can look back at your promised Messiah who has come, we now enter a new advent and a new season of looking forward to wait on your return, upon your second coming. So Father, as we are in this specific week, May we not miss the moment. May we not miss the opportunity to lean into the wait. Father, we love you so much. And this we lift in your name. Amen.